this passage in 1 Peter is a, a rather unique passage. Uh, of course, the, most of the pastoral epistles or the church epistles were written to an individual or to a group of people. Uh, but Peter's first epistle was not written specifically to a church at a specific location like the church at Philippi or the church at Colossae or many other illustrations that we have in Scripture. Rather, the, the epistle of 1 Peter uh, was written to all of the elect exiles of the dispersion in five different reason, regions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, these are places, uh, as I had mentioned before, are modern, in the modern day are known as Turkey, uh, in between the Mediterranean Sea and the Black Sea. And he's writing to these uh, congregations, these uh, many different believers in these areas. This is a rather large area. It covers, and uh, we're from Texas, so it may not sound as large to us, but uh, it covers a, an area spanning from east to west over 600 miles, uh, from the westernmost point to the easternmost point of that region. These were five Roman provinces, and here the church was going under, uh, was experiencing a great deal of persecution. And this, of course, was the, the thrust of the writing of 1 Peter, to encourage the church to endure suffering and to submit to the Lord as they uh, suffer according to the will of God. But this p- passage is unique for a couple different reasons. Nowhere else in the church epistles do we see a a corner of the epistle that is kind of carved out to specifically address the elders. But here in 1 Peter, we see this, uh, although brief portion of Scripture, just four verses or so, um, calling out the elders and addressing them uh, as to the work and instructing them as to the work they are to do among the congregations. And here in this passage, we see uh, three different things. We see Uh, First of all, the actions of the elder. We see the motives of the elder or the attitudes of the elder. And then we see finally the authority of the elder. Um, This is not meant to be a a, a comprehensive um, uh, verse-by-verse development of what it is a pastor is, his qualifications, all of those things. I won't take the time to delve into all of that uh, in the pastoral epistles. Uh, But we're going to look specifically at the picture that Peter paints and the illustration that he gives us of what an elder is. And then we'll look at the attitudes of an elder, and finally we'll look at the authority of an elder. So first off, we we jump into this uh, passage of Scripture, and Peter exhorts the elders among them. He exhorts them in in two ways. He exhorts, exhorts them as a fellow elder, one who is also an elder, and one who is a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And he gives them this charge. He says in verse number two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Here is the charge that Peter gives to these elders. Now, as we look throughout Scripture, we see many different terms that are used to refer to an elder. We see, of course, the term elder. We also see uh, the word shepherd or pastor that is used to refer to an elder. And then we also see, although much lesser um, mentioned in Scripture, is the term overseer. And here, as Peter exhorts the elders, he says, uh, exercising oversight, or that, that word bishop, And uh, both the close proximity of those words together in this passage, as well as comparing this scripture with other scriptures, we see 
that this was a, uh, a threefold synonymous term that is used to refer to the pastor or to the elder. In this passage, we see uh, the word shepherd and the word oversight mentioned in their verb form as things that the elder is to do, while the word elder is used to refer more specifically to his office. So why don't we look for just a few minutes, what, it, what is the elder to do? What is the pastor's job? Here, Peter gives two things that the pastor is to do. One, he is to shepherd the flock of God, to shepherd the flock of God, and two, to exercise oversight over the flock. This, uh, the word shepherd, uh, it's, it's kind of redundant used in this passage. Uh, the word shepherd and the word flock come from the same root word. Uh, one could very well interpret this as saying, shepherd the sheep of God. Shepherd the flock of God. Uh, today, the, the role of shepherd is not one that is overly common. Um, you visit different uh, places, and you'll, I once met an actual, I see an actual shepherd, uh, one that, that tended for sheep uh, as a full-time job. That was a unique thing. You don't see that very much. But in Old Testament times and in New Testament times, the role of shepherd was a very common one. Uh, the shepherd was given charge over sheep. And for those sheep, he would need to frequently move them to different places because of the dry climate to find food, to find water. And his job was to protect them, to watch over them, to keep them, to keep them safe. That was his charge, to watch over the sheep. This was a a great uh, job of responsibility, a job that was... Uh, This person could conduct with a great deal of independence. He could take the sheep wherever he wanted to take the sheep. But here Peter is is drawing a rather a a very close parallel between the work of a shepherd, one that we're not really familiar with today, and uh, the work of an elder among the congregation to illustrate what it is the pastor is to do among the congregation of believers. So judging from this concept, we're going to look at a few things that the elder is to do as a shepherd. Uh, First of all, uh, why don't we look, uh, we'll be turning to John chapter 10, but the first job of a shepherd is to know his sheep, to know his sheep. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10. We'll be moving around to uh, various portions of scripture. John chapter 10, verse 3, going down through verse number 5. Here, Jesus is speaking, and he, um, well, we can start on verse number one. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Notice this, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. In uh, looking through uh, the, the vocation of a shepherd, uh, there's many really interesting facts that, uh, that came to mind and that, that were revealed in, in studying uh, number one, we, we see that the, the job of the shepherd is to know the sheep. Here in, in uh, chapter 10 and verse number 3, the Bible says, The sheep hear his voice, 
And he, being the shepherd, calls his own sheep by name. Uh, when reading this, you may think, well, of, of course, you know, Jesus must be speaking in hyperbole. Uh, if a man cares for hundreds of sheep, certainly he would not have a specific name for each sheep. You know, this one's Larry, this one's Mo, and this one's Curly. Uh, he, he doesn't have that, of course. But to the contrary, in researching this, uh, there are shepherds of, of, that had flocks of many sizes who would, in fact, name their sheep and call them by their name. The other thing I found was very interesting is when uh, shepherds were gathered together with their flocks. The sheep, of course, would just form one large herd, um, a gathering of sheep. I'm not sure what a gathering of sheep is called. It's not a congress. Uh, that's gorillas. But um, uh, anyway, they would all gather together and they would intermingle. But when it was time for the when it was time for the the sheep and the shepherds to disperse, each shepherd would stand apart from the flock and would call his sheep. And the sheep, hearing the voice of their shepherd, would go to him and would follow him. They would not follow the voice of another. So we see that the shepherd, uh, or the sheep know their shepherd, but the shepherd is also to know his sheep. Here, lest we draw a comparison that is not truly uh, accurate, Jesus, of course, is speaking of himself in this passage. He goes on to continue in, in, in verse the verses to follow and says, I am the door of the sheep. And then he goes on, I am the good shepherd. Christ, of course, is our shepherd. He is our ultimate shepherd. He, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 5, is the chief shepherd. But our chief shepherd, in caring for us, has given us another shepherd, an under-shepherd, if you would, one to whom the, uh, we are responsible, and he, of course, being an under-shepherd, is responsible to the chief shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, let me stop here and say this. Our, our elder, our pastor, will never know us like the good shepherd knows us. The knowledge that God has of us, our, our sins, our failures, our, our, the hairs of our head being numbered, as we saw in Luke, a few weeks ago. He will never have that intimate of a knowledge of us, but nevertheless, the shepherd is to know his sheep, their needs, their struggles, their weaknesses, so that he might help them and guide them and lead them in a way that is appropriate for them. So he knows the flock. The second thing the shepherd is to do, he is to feed the flock. In fact, the term shepherd in the Old Testament referred to one who fed sheep. In the New Testament, we see that the word shepherd is used to refer to those who tend to sheep or uh, who tend to them, care for them, and feed them. Feeding sheep was a very large part of the job of a shepherd. As we said before, the, the climate in the, uh, the Middle East is, is not like our climate. Uh, there was a, the, the foliage and the, the grass and all of those things that the sheep would eat would be sparse. And many times the shepherd would have to take his sheep from one place to another in order to find food and to find water to feed them and to care for them the appropriate way. Just as the shepherd of those physical sheep was responsible for their welfare and for feeding them, so our shepherd, our pastor... Uh, is given the responsibility of feeding us as the sheep of the Lord. Not feeding us physically, of course, 
but feeding us spiritually. Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21 and verse number 15. John chapter 21 and verse 15. Reading the book of Peter, First, first Peter, we, we often tend to, at least I do sometimes when I read a passage, sometimes tend to detach First Peter from the Apostle Peter. We all know that the Apostle Peter had many struggles, uh, many sins, uh, of course, the most famous of which would be his denial of Jesus Christ. Uh, three times denying, at one point even cursing, saying, I do not know the man. And it is to this apostle, to Peter, that God gave the great authority and great power in leading, becoming one of the first leaders of the church. But in verse 15 of John, John chapter 21, we see it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you love me more than these? There is uh, some debate upon whether he was talking about the fish that he loved. He says, do you love me more than you love these fish? But I, I believe he was talking about the other disciples. Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? He said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But notice what Jesus commands him. He said unto him, feed my lambs. He said unto him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. One of the first instructions that God gave the Apostle Peter was to feed the flock of God, to lead the sheep to, so they might be fed and eat and be nourished, not physically, but spiritually by the proclamation of the Word of God. So it is with the elder. The elder is charged with feeding the flock of God, with uh, interpreting Scripture and applying Scripture and challenging us with truths from the Word of God each and every week, week in and week out and day in and day out in counseling and ex uh, exhortation and encouraging, all of those things, that is the job of a shepherd to feed the flock of God. And here we see this was one of the first things that Peter was charged to do. No doubt, First Peter and Second Peter were a partial fulfillment of that feeding, feeding the flock of God. The third thing uh, that the elder is to do is to protect the flock. He is to know the flock, he is to feed the flock, and he is to protect the flock. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Uh, in another portion, we see, of course, Peter in uh, this passage, uh, giving charge to the elders that were among the dispersion uh, to shepherd the flock of God. Here in Acts chapter 20, we see a different author, uh, of course, Luke having written the, the book of Acts, but we see the Apostle Paul more specifically in Acts 20, uh, calling the, the elders from the church at Ephesus to himself and uh, giving them instructions on how they are to conduct themselves. 
And in Acts chapter 20, uh, we'll start in verse number 28, he gives them specific instructions. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock of God, which of, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So notice here in, in Acts chapter 20 that he gives them a charge to, careful, to pay careful attention to the flock, uh, to oversee the flock, and to protect the flock. Verse number 29 and 30 gives us this example. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. And here the, uh, the Apostle Paul gives two different examples of how the flock can be destroyed. Uh, first of all, it is destroyed from without, from outside of the flock. He says in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you. These were people who were not part of the flock. They were not part of the sheep. They were wolves. They were outside of the flock of God, but they were coming in and not sparing the flock, seeking to destroy the flock. In fact, I mean, take the illustration itself. A wolf coming in among sheep, the wolf has only one object in mind, is to single out one of those sheep or several of those sheep and to destroy that sheep. And he says that there will be people that would seek to destroy the church of God and the flock of God like this wolf. But the elder, the shepherd, is to protect the flock of God. Notice the second illustration that he gives in verse number 30. He says, And from among your own selves will arise men, speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. So this second group is not, um, some would say, well, it's, it's not as sinister as a wolf coming in. I would, I would uh, venture to say that the second group that he speaks of is far more sinister than someone coming from outside the church to destroy the church. And that is the, for the simple reason that there would be people from among, notice, your own selves. And he's speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus. There would be some from among you. Men will arise speaking twisted things. And notice the intention of these men would be to draw away the disciples after them. Notice in each of these scenarios, the goal is to destroy and to lead astray the sheep of God. Each instance, whether it be a a wolf or whether it be a false teacher arising from within the church. They're seeking a, a group for themselves. They're seeking disciples for themselves. They are prideful. They are seeking to draw away the sheep from following Christ and rather to follow them. And notice verse number 31. He says, therefore, be alert. Be alert. Be on guard. Because your job as the shepherd of the sheep is to protect those sheep, to protect them from false teaching, to protect them from some other Christ or some other gospel that men may try to proclaim to them. Just as surely as Satan has tried throughout the years to destroy churches 
and men and women have tried to destroy churches, churches are, they continue to be under attack. You may say, well, I'm just thankful we don't have anyone like that here that you know of. But we must be on guard. But to a far greater extent, the shepherd is to be watching, to be on guard for those who would destroy the flock of God. Now, confronting false teachers and confronting uh, those who would come in to destroy the flock is never an easy thing. In fact, there may be a time in your future or my future uh, when the pastor comes to me and says, hey, I, I just want to talk to you about something. I want to challenge you to think through what it is that you're doing or you're saying or some part of your life that is not in conjunction with the Word of God. This is not because the shepherd's job is to beat up on the sheep. No. To the contrary, the shepherd's job is to watch out for the sheep and to protect their welfare. This is for your good. And this is for my good. Notice fourthly, he's to know the flock, feed the flock, protect the flock, but also he is to restore the flock. Restore the flock. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verse 12 and verse 13. Jesus, of course, is speaking again here in Matthew chapter 18, and he poses a question to them and more of a rhetorical question, but he says to them, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Here we are, we are given just a glimpse of the pastoral care that God gives to his people. Just as we had said before, God as our Father, uh, God as our, our pastor, so to speak, the one who cares for us, who cares for our soul, uh, tends to us, He protects us, uh, and He challenges us through His Word, He restores us. But here the, the, uh, the shepherd, the chief shepherd, uses His shepherds to restore His sheep. Notice the, the, the parable, the, the story that Jesus Christ is telling gives an example of a hundred sheep and one that has gone astray. The book of Luke contains a very similar parable, but in the book of Luke, the, the sheep uh, was not astray, but the sheep was lost. And in Luke, the shepherd was going and gathering in the sheep that was lost. Here is definitely different. Here we have a, a sheep that was part of the fold, part of the hundred, that went astray, that left the fold and had gone astray of his own will. And in this illustration, Jesus Christ gives them this question, of course, 
The answer obviously is yes. If a man has a hundred sheep, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go and find the one that went astray? And we would say with a resounding uh, enthusiasm, of course he would. Of course he would. If one of you has a child that goes astray, do you not go after that child and plead with them and beg them and reason with them and preach the gospel to your child so that they might return? Of course. So it is with the shepherd and his sheep. When a shepherd recognizes that there is a sheep, one of his flock, that has strayed and is no longer part of the fold but is outside of the fold, perhaps following sin, following their own pleasure, not in a right relationship with our chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The job of the shepherd is to go and to find that sheep and to bring them back to the fold, to restore them to a right relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is done through the proclamation of the word. This is done through counseling. This is done through reaching out uh, each and every day. If someone is, is not here or has been absent for quite some time, to reach out with them and to plead them to return to the fold, return to the flock of God. So we see several different things that the elder is to do. The elder, as a shepherd, is to know his flock, to feed his flock, to protect his flock, and to work to restore the flock. And in this spirit, Peter draws the attention of the elders and he says, shepherd the sheep of God, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And notice, take oversight thereof. Watch the flock. Be the overseer of the flock. But in verses 2 and 3, he not only addresses the actions of an elder, but he addresses something that's far deeper than the actions of an elder. He addresses the motives of an elder. In prefacing this passage, uh, John Calvin said this. He said, in exhorting pastors to do their duty, he points out three vices, especially which are to be found among elders, namely sloth, desire for gain, and a lust for power. And in the next few verses, we'll see something that the elder is to avoid and something else that the elder is to do, or a motive that the elder should not have, but rather one that he should have. There's a dichotomy here in the next couple of verses. Notice verse 2 and 3 one more time. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Notice the first, not under compulsion, but willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. This word compulsion refers to one who is not doing what he does because he enjoys doing it or doing it because he desires to do it. This refers to someone who is doing it because it is a work that has to be done. He is compelled to do it. Not of his own volition. He is one that has been forced in to doing the work that he is doing. And Peter says that the elder is to not serve under compulsion, but to serve willingly. The pastor is not to do his job simply because, well, somebody's got to do it, so it might as well be me. I've been doing it. I've been doing it for a long time, and I don't really want to do it anymore, but I'm just going to do it anyway. 
going, uh, going around to many different churches when I was a teenager, traveling with my dad, um, it was very interesting to, to overhear and to even be present as a 12, 13-year-old boy to many of the conversations that my dad had with, with many pastors and to um, have a little bit of insight into what some of those pastors were going through. But there were many pastors who, who had this, this weight on them. I don't really want to be a pastor, but somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Peter says this is not how the elder is to conduct his work. He is not to conduct it under compulsion, not being compelled to do the work, not because someone else thinks you need to be doing the work, but because God has laid it upon your heart to do the work and you willingly, of your own volition, of your own choice, desire to do the work of an elder. Isn't this the first qualification of an elder? 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 1, if any man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. All of those subsequent qualifications of, of, of an elder are, I believe, subject to that first qualification. Do you desire to feed, to protect, to tend to the flock of God? I believe, they, yes. That should be the heart cry of an elder. This is a work that I am willingly doing, that I am willingly engaging in, not because someone has told me I need to, or not because I feel compelled to do so, but because I desire to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve his flock in this way. Notice he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. And then there's this little phrase, as God would have you. This phrase literally is according to God or according to the will of God. It is the will of God that his elders not serve the flock of God under compulsion, but that they serve willingly of their desire, of their own volition. This is the plan, this is the, the plan of God for his elders and for his congregations. Notice, secondly, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. Secondly, he says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Pardon me, I skipped one. Verse, uh, latter part of verse number two. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Here this refers to the desire to get rich. The desire for gain. Uh, any, uh, I've heard many... You get in, if you get into the ministry to become rich, you are getting in the wrong profession. Uh, I'd say in some places the opposite is actually true today. Uh, the, the Christian church, and I use those air quotes very loosely, uh, the church today, or what calls itself Christendom or evangelicalism, is filled today with pastors who are not shepherds but they're there to do nothing more than to fleece the flock. Not for shameful gain. An elder serving with a mindset that is simply set upon gain will not serve in the appropriate way. Let me use an illustration that I think all of us can, can uh, I guess, uh, associate with to some degree or another. Let's suppose that you become sick whether suddenly you have a heart attack, you have a stroke, you're involved in a car accident, 
And of course, because of all that, you get rushed to the nearest, well, to JPS, let's just put it plainly. Uh, you get rushed to the nearest hospital that has the facilities and the, the capability of caring for your sickness or your trauma. And in walks the doctor. The doctor, later you find out, has no care for you, but he's simply there for a paycheck. He simply got into it because, well, you know, people are always going to need doctors, and man, can I make the big bucks with this job? Muddled through school, barely passed his board exams, and this could be said of any medical worker. I could use myself as an example, a nurse. Uh, I went through nursing school with many people who, honestly, when I asked them, why do you want to be a nurse? They said, the money's good. And I'm like, man, I would hate to be your patient. (laughs) Why? We want someone who is not there simply to draw a paycheck, simply to rack up that overtime and and make a big payday, but someone who is eager and desires to do the work that that doctor or nurse or any other medical care professional or uh, this could be applied to any other profession there, there is. We want someone who desires to do and is eager to do the work, not simply set upon the paycheck. Any elder serving with this mindset, a mindset that says, well, what can I gain from this church? What is the salary going to be like? In 20 years, what is my 401k going to be like? Am I going to have a new car every year? How big of a house am I going to live in? How wealthy will I be able to become from being the pastor, the shepherd of this church? Matthew Henry states it so simply. He says, the elder, this type of an elder, uh, or the, the elder that Peter is referring to, the elder that is to not be in it for selfish gain, this elder regards the flock as more than the fleece. In other words, this elder is concerned not about the monetary gain, but he's concerned about the sheep. He desires their welfare. He desires their well-being. He desires their protection. And so for this reason, he says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The elder is to serve with an emotional uh, zeal and fervor and eagerness in doing his job. Notice the third thing. Verse number three, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We could see several different examples of domineering. Even in recent uh, days, we've been looking through uh, Matthew chapter 15 that uh, Pastor Hodson took us through, uh, and we've covered in uh, Luke chapter 12 in the past few weeks, looking at the Pharisees and the scribes. And one of the condemnations of of the Pharisees and the scribes by Jesus Christ was that they had this controlling domineering over those that were under them, that they were adding to the revealed word of God, and they were not abiding by the word of God at all as their authority, but abiding by their traditions, the traditions of men. And because of that, they negated the word of God. This would be a very good example of a domineering elder, someone who is controlling and manipulative. This is not what an elder is to be. My dad always jokingly, uh, when I was a kid, and I have to say jokingly, because when you hear what he said, you're going to be like, he did not say that. Um, and joking around, you know, I'd, I'd always, 
as kids do, kids will always point out your inconsistencies, right? Any of you that have children that will talk to you can, can attest to that fact. Well, you know, Jake, you're supposed to pick up your toys in the living room. Well, Dad, why are your shoes right there by my toys? I mean, come on, right? Um, so I would, I would do that to my dad, of course. My dad told me to do something. I'm like, well, Dad, you do that. And he would always say this, and this is not a good recipe for living, but he would say, uh, Josh, do as I say and not as I do. And in a very joking way, he would both point out his inconsistency in not doing what he wanted me to do, but also his desire for me to do the right thing. But this is not to be the attitude of an elder. The elder is not to get up here and say, you are to do this with your life. You are to be faithful in reading your Bibles. You are to be faithful in exhorting one another. And I'm going to let you guys do that while I go home. That's not the attitude of an elder or a good elder. The elder is not to be domineering over the flock of God, but rather they are to be in examples of what each sheep of the flock should be. Here we, as, as John Calvin had, had uh, drawn attention to it, this lust for power can overwhelm even good elders and impact their ministries greatly. There's a uh, saying that I think most of us would be familiar with. Lord Acton had stated in a letter, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. We could look in our uh, many different areas of our, our lives today and see that uh, areas of power are often areas that corrupt the person in the power, in the position of authority. This was true also among the Gentiles. This was true among the, uh, the Jews as well with the Pharisees and scribes. No, turn with me to Mark chapter 10, briefly. Mark chapter 10 and verse 42 And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." Philippians chapter 2, Paul encourages the church at Philippi, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This is to be the attitude of the elder, one who serves, but one who is an example of the believer. So these are the three attitudes. You are not to be compelled to do the work. Not, don't do the work for selfish gain or shameful gain. Don't domineer over the flock that God has given to you, but rather do it willingly, do it eagerly, and be exemplary in your work as the shepherd. As the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, He said to the church at Corinth, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is leading the flock. You know, the shepherd doesn't drive the flock. 
Cattle are driven, right? Sheep are not driven, they are led. And the shepherd, by his example, by showing the church and the the members here at Sovereign Joy what it is to be a believer, how we are to conduct our lives, there is so much more uh, emphasis and uh, motivation for the believers to do the work when you see that your elder is engaged in doing it as well. I once heard a man say, uh, say this about teaching. And I think some of this may apply in a secular context, but not so much in a spiritual one. But he said this, what you say is important. What's more important than what you say is how you say it. And what's more important than how you say it is how you live. The elder is one who exemplifies the life of a believer and calls the sheep to follow him as he follows the Lord. Notice lastly, we see uh, the elder's actions, the elder's motives, but let's look lastly at the elder's accountability. The elder's accountability. You say, man, this is a, this is a really great position of power that the elder has. Well, it is. It's a position of authority that God himself has established for his church people, for his congregation, for his flock, to encourage them, to grow them. But it does not come without its responsibility. Notice verse 4. The Bible says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Notice lastly, the elder's accountability. To whom does the elder report? And you would say, me. I'm a church member here. I'm a voting church member here. I'm a giving, active, voting church member in Sovereign Joy. The pastor is to be accountable to me and to me alone, or to us alone. Well, there is a degree of accountability that the shepherd has to his sheep, especially in our context. We are uh, giving uh, our pastor, uh, I say, the authority. We are not giving to him the authority. The authority is given by our God, but we are submitting to him as unto the Lord, submitting to his leadership. There is a degree of accountability that the shepherd has to the sheep. However, that is not the foremost of accountability that the shepherd will have to give. The ultimate authority to whom this shepherd is responsible is to the chief shepherd. It's written right there in the name. The shepherds, the elders are to shepherd the flock of God, but there is a chief shepherd. There is one under whom all other shepherds are gathered and one to whom they are accountable. They are accountable to the Lord. Notice that our shepherd is not the end-all shepherd. God is the one who chose us. Christ is the one who died and atoned for our sin. The Spirit of God has drawn us into his fold. He is the chief shepherd. But Christ is also the chief shepherd over all over inferior shepherds. They are called by God and they are accountable to him for their charge and their actions as under shepherds. James chapter 3, I believe it is. 
James writes, uh, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. There is a grave responsibility and an accounting of all of actions, motives, words, and works before the Lord Jesus Christ for our pastor's work done as a shepherd. This is very serious. He's not giving account to us. Talk about a slap on the wrist. He's giving account to God. One day the elder will stand before God and give account to him for how he led his sheep. For how he faithfully discharged his duty before the Lord. And in that day, for those who are faithful in their work as under-shepherds, there will be a reward. Notice he says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now obviously he is not referring to those who do the work of a shepherd for greedy gain, or for uh, power, or for... um, under compulsion. He's not dealing with that, but, but shepherds who faithfully discharge and serve the Lord and act according to his uh, prescribed will for the shepherd and with the right motives will be rewarded for their service. And likewise, those who serve the Lord and fail in their responsibility as a shepherd and do not protect their sheep and do not feed their sheep and do not know their sheep and serve not for the right reasons, but for all of the wrong ones, they will be judged by the Lord. So you say, why are you even talking about this? You may be here and you're like, I'm not an elder, and I never want to be an elder. What is the importance for me? I think there's three things. Um, of course, every good sermon is threes. All good things come in threes, right? Or all things come in threes. Good or bad. You may file this under the bad. (laughs) Um, I think, first of all, we we do need to understand what the work of an elder is. And let me tell you, it is not an easy work. It is difficult work. It is a physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually taxing work. It is hard It is difficult many times on the pastor and many families are impacted by the work of an elder. The pastor's family, that is. It's a difficult work. And so we need to understand what it is our pastor is going to be doing as he shepherds us and recognize the gravity and the difficulty that comes along with being a shepherd of the sheep of God. Secondly, I think it's imperative that we know the, the actions of a shepherd so that we can better pray for our pastor with understanding. Knowing what it is that God has called him to do for us and among us should prompt us to, to pray with more knowledge, to pray with more uh, wisdom and understanding, knowing what we should be praying for him about, what we should be asking God to do in his life and through him. And number three, I think this is very important for us to understand so that we might humbly submit to our pastor as God desires us to do. Notice 1 Peter chapter 5 in verse number 5. He says, likewise. 
Likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. That word likewise is drawing a parallel between what had previously been stated in verse number four and what Peter desires for believers in the following verses. Just as the under-shepherd is subject to the chief shepherd, so you are to be subject to the elders. Notice he continues. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You say, well, I don't know what God wants me to do. As it relates to our church and to our pastor, I can tell you what God wants you to do because he has told us in his word, humble yourselves, submit yourselves both to each other and to the elder as he seeks to do the work of God among us. Let's pray.